I want to welcome you here. Our speaker this morning is Ken Ham. And uh, Ken Ham, I consider him to be one of God's gifts to the church in this generation. He literally spends his days on the front line in the clash of worldviews, standing firmly for the truth of God's word. And he has dedicated his life to upholding the authority of Scripture, starting at the very first verse of the Bible. And all of the resources that come from Answers in Genesis, all of the, the DVDs and the supplies and the materials, a new curriculum, everything revolves around that premise that God's word is true, that we can trust it, and that we should and can believe it literally. Ken Ham serves as the president and founder of Answers in Genesis, the Creation Museum, and a new project, the Ark Encounter. He has a very extensive travel schedule, speaking to literally tens of thousands of children and adults throughout the year, both in the United States and all over the world, as well as being an author. He and his wife have five children and nine grandchildren. They live in the area of Cincinnati, which is right near where the museum is. And I know that you are going to enjoy hearing this message. You're going to, be, you're going to enjoy hearing it, and you're going to be challenged by it. Both of those will be true. Uh, so would you please join me in welcoming Ken Ham. Well, thank you for the welcome. It's great to be here. I appreciate the church leadership inviting us to uh, the church and entrusting uh, this pulpit to us. For those who hadn't heard me speak before, you'll notice I don't speak with an American accent, and I don't want to. Um, I have a deep southern accent, and you better get used to it, because this is what you're going to speak in heaven. So, and you can't prove I'm wrong yet, so I can say that, right? Well, the Ministry of Answers in Genesis and Apologetics Ministry, and that's why we're here for this conference this weekend, tomorrow morning for the kids and young people, which adults are welcome to come to too. I sometimes find the adults say they get more out of the kids' sessions than anything because then they can understand them. So, and then tomorrow night, uh, and they're all totally different sessions. And what I wanted to speak on this morning was really a lead-up to the rest of the conference, really an introduction to the conference. See, Answers in Genesis and Apologetics Ministry. And apologetics, that word comes from the Greek word apologia. In 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an apologia, to give a defense or to give an answer. It means to give a logical reason defense of the faith. That's a little different for Christians, isn't it? <laughs> give a logical reason defense of the faith. You know, one of the problems we have today is that I find that Most Christians don't know how to answer the skeptical questions of this age. And for many of them, they say, oh, don't worry about that, just trust in Jesus. But the reason people ask those skeptical questions is that they're trying to say, see, how can you really trust the Bible? And 1 Peter 3.15 says, be prepared to give an answer. We need to show that we can answer and that we can defend our faith. And be like Paul, powerfully confute and dispute and argue uh, to show people that we can defend the faith, pointing to the word of God, knowing, of course, it's the word of God that convicts and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know, as I travel around, have traveled around for 35 years, I find in this era of history, I get asked many of the same questions over and over again. doesn't matter what country I'm in. Questions like, well, where did God come from? Who made God? Well, wait a minute. If you believe the Bible and we all go back to Adam and Eve, where did all the races of people come from? Well, where did Cain get his wife? Well, what about dinosaurs? Don't they disprove the Bible? And how did Noah fit the animals on the ark? He couldn't have fitted all those animals on the ark. How can you believe in Noah's ark? And what about carbon dating? Put your hand up if you've heard those sort of questions. Oh, that's a surprise. 
Well, no, it's not. You know why? Because they're the skeptical questions of this age. And that's really what I want to address this morning as a lead up to the conference, why those skeptical questions are there today and what we really need to do about it. You know, in five years ago, we opened the Creation Museum near Cincinnati. It's in northern Kentucky, near Cincinnati Airport. How many of you have been to the Creation Museum, by the way? Oh, that's a little better than the last service. How many haven't been to the Creation Museum? Uh-huh. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, you need to repent of your sin and get there. Uh, it, it's only a, it's a, you know, you can do it in a day's drive from here. In fact, we're within a one-day drive of two-thirds of America's population. And it's different to what many people think. It's not just about creation, evolution. It's a walk through the whole Bible, answering the skeptical questions of this age. Incredibly professional, first class. In fact, all tickets are two-day tickets. That's how long it takes for people to really absorb it all and go through it all. And so we make all tickets two-day tickets. Let me show you this short video. It's a lead-up to what I want to say. The acclaimed Creation Museum and outreach of Answers in Genesis is a one-of-a-kind museum filled with animatronic characters, interactive videos, a spectacular planetarium, a special effects theater, and many other world-class exhibits. Since its opening in 2007, the Creation Museum has welcomed over 1.5 million guests at its 49-acre location in the greater Cincinnati area. The -the state-of-the-art 70,000-square-foot museum brings the pages of the Bible to life, helping answer the skeptical questions that cause people to doubt that the Bible is true. The dramatic finale of the museum is The Last Adam film, where guests experience the glory of God's redemptive plan and hear a clear and powerful presentation of the gospel message. Since the museum's opening, we have heard countless testimonies from adults and young people whose lives have been changed through a museum visit. Now discover how it might change your own life for Christ. Plan your visit at creationmuseum.org and prepare to believe. You know, a lot of families come, bring their children, and a lot of people tell me they get emboldened after they've been to the Creation Museum People are so thrilled that they can bring children up today, take them to a wholesome family place where they don't have to worry about what they're being taught and and what they see and know that they will learn about God's word and learn how to defend God's word in today's culture. It's really a walk through what we call the seven C's. It's really a walk through Genesis to Revelation, creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion, and then Christ's cross consummation. A walk through that history, answering the skeptical questions that attack that history in the Bible, particularly in Genesis 1 to 11, and then present the gospel in that history. And this morning I'm sort of going to concentrate a bit on the first two C's, creation and corruption. Tonight I'll be dealing with confusion, the Tower of Babel. You know, one of the questions we get asked is, if you believe in Adam and Eve, how do you explain all the different races of people? I'm explain tonight there's only one race of people, there are no different races. There's only one skin colour. Did you know there's no black people and no white people? There's no such thing. I mean, you might call, call people that, but it's actually incorrect. You see, people say, but you're a white person. I, I do not want to be a white person because then I'd look like this, right? Uh, see, we all have the same pigment, mal- melanin. It's a brown pigment. It's a matter how much or how little you have. It's what shade you are. It's not what color you are. We'll talk about those sort of things tonight. I'm also going to talk about uh, poodles tonight. Uh, because that, that, I, that helps me explain to you genetics. Uh, and particularly, I have to use a degenerate mutant to do that. So that, <laughs> that's why we talk about poodles. So that'll be tonight. And then Dr. Gary Parker tonight's going to give his testimony how he was an atheist 
and a, uh, an evolutionist and how he became a Bible-believing Christian creationist. And then tomorrow night he's going to deal with geology and the flood and all sorts of exciting things. And tomorrow night I'm going to teach you how to think, which is radical for education, and how to logically, how to logically argue with a non-Christian and what science is and what science isn't and all sorts of interesting things. But you know, I said to you that I'm asked those questions and you've heard of those questions. You know, let me ask you this. Do you think Martin Luther would have been asked many of those questions? No. Would he have been asked about carbon dating? No, because that wasn't an issue in his day. You think Peter and Paul would have been asked about carbon dating or dinosaurs? Actually, the word dinosaur wasn't even invented until 1841. There's a warning in the Bible. And this warning is in 2 Corinthians 11.3. And Paul says this. I want to warn you, and this is God's word, that just as the serpent deceived Eve, in the same way you're going to be deceived. Satan is going to use the same method on you as he did on Eve to try to get you, your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors, your friends, not to believe the things of God. Wow, if it's a warning that Satan's going to use the same method on us as he did on Eve, shouldn't we go back and find out what that method was? Well, you go back to Genesis 3, and what do we find? The serpent came to Eve and said, did God really say, did God really say, what was happening here? What was happening was that the serpent, Satan, was trying to create doubt in regard to the word of God, and that that doubt would lead to unbelief. People, the first attack was on the word of God, and that attack has never let up. But the thing that people seem to miss is that that attack manifests itself in different ways in different eras of history. And we have to understand the era of history we live in. And, and right up front, I want to say to you this. You know, I've traveled around the world in many different countries. Wherever there's an education system, they have access, people have access to TV, have access to the internet, they will have heard of evolution, millions of years, Big Bang, and so on. And I'm going to say to you this. You see, what I call this, did God really say, is the Genesis 3 attack. Do we know what the Genesis 3 attack of our day is? I suggest to you the teaching of evolution, Big Bang, millions of years that permeates the world is the Genesis 3 attack of this age. And sadly, so many Christians have succumbed to that attack. In fact, what we found is that in, the, in, in our churches and seminaries and Bible colleges in America, we've done the research on this as well as my own personal experience too. The majority of Christians, the majority of Christian leaders, the majority of pastors, the majority of Christian academics would say Genesis doesn't matter or it, you, you can believe in evolution, millions of years. They doubt those first four C's or they reject those first four C's or they reinterpret them to fit in evolution of millions of years. That is rife in the church and through our Christian homes. You know, I've had people come to me, mums and dads, pastors and others, and they said, well, when little Johnny said, said, what about evolution? I told them, well, you can believe in evolution as long as God did it, but trust in Jesus. You can believe in millions of years as long as God did it, but trust in Jesus. You can believe in the Big Bang as long as God did it. And they say to me, look, as long as they trust in Jesus, you know, what's wrong with telling them that they can believe in evolution as long as God did it? Isn't that the most important thing to say as long as God did it? And I say, well, here's my answer to that. It is not what God said he did. Because what happens when little Johnny says, hey, mum and dad, you said to believe in evolution as long as God did it, but evolution has man from an ape man, woman from an ape woman. The Bible has man from dust and woman from his side. Does that mean God got it wrong? 
Hey, mom and dad, you told me to believe in the Big Bang as long as God did it, but the Big Bang has the sun coming before the earth. The earth is a hot molten blob that cools down for millions of years. The Bible has the earth before the sun and the earth covered in water. Does that mean God got it wrong? Hey, mom and dad, you told me to believe in millions of years as long as God did it, but actually the idea of millions of years came out of atheism, which is true. In the 1700s, 1800s, the belief that the fossils were laid down millions of years before man. But you know what's in the fossil record, mum and dad? Evidence of animals eating each other. The Bible says that animals were vegetarian originally, Genesis 1.30. It's got evidence of animals with diseases like brain tumors and cancer and arthritis, all sorts of diseases in the fossil record. At the end of the sixth day of creation, God said everything was very good. Tell me, mum and dad, does God call cancer and brain tumors very good? The fossil record is full of violence of animals eating each other and it's got thorns said to be hundreds of millions of years old. Doesn't the Bible say thorns came after the curse? Oh, I get it, mum and dad. The first part of the Bible is not right. God got it wrong. It's man who gets it right. And people, that's what has permeated our church and so many church homes and Christian homes. Do you know what's happening as a result? Two-thirds of young people are walking away from the church by the time they reach college age. That's what's happening in America. If that keeps going, where's the church going to be in another one or two generations? It'll be like England. You know, we're to understand the times. The men of Ishakar, they understood the times. I have a question for us. Do we understand the times we live in? Do we understand what the Genesis 3 attack of our day is? Are we ready to train up our children and grandchildren to deal with the Genesis 3 attack of this day so they won't be led astray? You know, when I've been over in England and the whole United Kingdom across Europe, in fact, I'll be in England in a few days speaking there at the time of the Olympics, actually, and then over in Northern Ireland. But you know what I found in the United Kingdom and across Europe? There are thousands of church buildings. But you know what the rule is today? Not the exception. This is the rule. They're no longer church buildings. They're like this. Here's a church building in England was turned into a Sikh temple. This one was turned into a nightclub. This one was turned into a tattoo and piercing studio. Is it any wonder when two-thirds of young people in England say they don't even believe in God and that's where this nation is heading? And people, do you know what happened in England back in the 1700s, 1800s when the idea of millions of years was popularized and then Darwinian evolution was popularized in the mid-19th century and then along came the Big Bang. Church leaders in England adopted the millions of years, evolution, Big Bang and told generations of people in their churches, you can believe that as long as you say God did it and they reinterpreted the book of Genesis, unlocking a door to say you can put man in authority over God's word. You don't have to take this as written. It put those generations on a slippery slope of unbelief and today the church in England it's, it's almost dead it has died spiritually and people America is heading that way we are living in an era of history understand the times we are seeing the collapse of the Christian structure of the nation of America we're seeing it before our very eyes we're bringing our kids up in this and we say what has happened America, the greatest Christianized nation on earth. You have more Christian resources right now in this culture than you've ever had in your history. Let me ask you a question. For all of that, or more Christian resources than we've ever had, is America becoming more Christian or less Christian every day? What would you say? Less Christian. Wait a minute. The church used to be the salt and light. The church used to touch this culture. What has happened? I suggest to you what has happened. There's nothing new under the sun. It's the same as happened to the Israelites. What did Jeremiah say, the prophet Jeremiah? People, what is wrong with you? You were there to influence the world. Look what's happened. They've influenced you. People, the culture has invaded the church. We look and say, look how bad the world is. I suggest we should be saying, what's wrong with the church? 
Why is not the church touching the culture as it used to? Certainly, we see a change in the culture. Who would have ever thought you'd have atheists having rallies in Washington, D.C.? And in fact, when they had their rally in March this year, they advertised it as bring the kids to the reason rally. And they had it as a coming out rally for, for young people, for instance, who, who kids who went to church now holding up signs saying, hi, mum and dad, I'm an atheist. I'm coming out of the closet. Who would have thought that you'd have an atheist concert at a military base, Fort Bragg military base, to get the military personnel to be atheists. In fact, it was reported in the newspaper this way. We got any Darwin fans in the house, asked a performer named Baba Brinkman before launching into a rap song about evolutionary biology. Evolutionary biology, evolution, millions of years, is so important to the atheists. It's their their justification that there's no God. Listen to Richard Dawkins, that ardent atheist that I'm sure most of us know of. You know what he says? I've got the video clips of him saying, when I was taught evolution in millions of years, I realized there's no God. The Bible's not true. He uses that as a justification for his atheism. People, shouldn't we just be a little bit suspicious when the Bible says men love darkness rather than light? There's more on the broad way than the narrow way. When the world, the world that is against God, the world that loves darkness rather than light, that adopts a view of origins to justify their atheism of evolution of millions of years, just because the majority have that view, shouldn't you be a little bit suspicious of it? And yet most of the church has adopted Richard Dawkins' ideas of evolution of millions of years into the Bible? Who would have ever thought that you'd see a university campus, this is University of Texas, San Antonio, have an atheist group encouraging students to exchange Bibles for pornography? That happened in 2010. Atheists have been putting billboards up for years now across this nation, promoting atheism, attacking Christ at Christmas. You know it's a myth. The seasons celebrate reason, they say. They've got new billboards for 2012. This one saying, please don't indoctrinate me with religion. Teach me to think for myself. You know one of the things they're saying more and more, I got an article about it on my Facebook from yesterday. More and more articles coming out by secularists. They know if you say something enough, people will start to believe it. And for instance... They're now saying more and more, those Christians that teach their kids about God and creation, that's child abuse. And they're using the term child abuse. If they say it enough, it'll start to stick. They're attacking Christianity on their billboards, attacking the flood, mocking Christianity, misquoting the Bible in regard to issues like like, uh, slaves and so on. Again, uh, just mocking Christianity. It's happening in our whole Western world. In Australia, the Sydney Observatory has a new promotion for their planetarium programs. This is their new promotion. Your father is a red giant. Your mother is a star. Your grandpa is a blue supergiant. In fact, one of the university professors from, uh, uh, from the university in Arizona says this, that the stars exploded so you could be here. Your mother was a star. And we look at all that and we say, wow, how did this happen? But people, we should not be surprised at what the world believes. It is against God. There's none righteous, no, not one. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness, Romans 1. Should we be surprised at the world? You know what we should be saying? Wait a minute, why is not the church touching the culture like it used to in our Western world, in America? Because the culture has invaded the church. Christianity Today, last year, the June issue, do you know what it focused on? More and more Christian academics in our Christian colleges and seminaries and pastors who no longer believe in a literal Adam, a literal Eve, or even a literal fall. 
They quoted two professors from Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan that said there's, they don't believe in a literal fall. If there's no literal fall, no literal Adam and Eve, tell me, why are we sinners? Where did sin come from? Who are we? Where did we come from? What's the gospel message all about? Baker Bookhouse used to publish conservative books, a book they published this year, The Evolution of Adam, by Peter Enns, who's a professor now at a Christian university, who says this, evolution demands that the special creation of the first Adam as described in the Bible is not literally historical. Why aren't Christians standing up and saying the Bible demands that there be a historical Adam and this is wrong? Who would have ever thought that Westminster Presbyterian Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan would launch a program called Gay Christian Yes? After all, if you're going to tell people you can take the secular ideas of millions of years in evolution and reinterpret the Bible, why not take the secular ideas of marriage and reinterpret the Bible? Isn't that happening before our very eyes? Who would have ever thought that you'd now have a website, it's an organization where clergy can go who have decided that they reject the Bible now, don't believe in God. There are a number of them say they became atheists. Some of them say they're still preaching in pulpits because they get their, their salary so they keep preaching and yet they're atheists. And more and more being added to this list on this site. And in fact, it's interesting to read the testimonies over and over again. It's obviously the teaching of evolution of millions of years that that many of them talk about the scientific evidence that disproves the Bible. They came to realize that. You know what? It, It feels like we're living in the days of the judges. When they had no king to tell them what to do, they all did what was right in their own eyes. But people, if you're going to do what is right in your own eyes, then it means you don't believe this is the absolute authority. You mean it's man who determines truth. And you know what? Ultimately, there are only two religions. Did you know there's only two religions in the world? You either trust God or man. Isn't that it? Genesis 3. Trust God's word or you become as God. People, do you know what's happened in our Western world? We change religion. Do you know what's happened in America? We've changed religion. We've changed from God's word to man's word. And do you know who talks about this change? And talks about it as a positive thing, by the way. Do you know who talks about this change? President Obama. Before he was elected president, during his inauguration address, since he was elected president, many times he's made this statement. Whatever we once were, we are no longer. We're no longer just a Christian nation. We're also a Jewish nation, Muslim nation, Buddhist nation, Hindu nation, a nation of non-believers. Let me interpret that for you. We're no longer a nation that believes in one God. We're a nation now that believes in many gods. Isn't that great? See, we're no longer a nation that just builds our thinking on the Bible. See, most of your founding fathers were Christians who built their thinking on the Bible. That's why you had Christian morality permeating the nation. That's why marriage was considered a man and a woman. That's why abortion would be considered wrong because you were killing a human being. But what's happened is we've changed foundation from God's word to man's word. And we've thrown God out of the public school. We've thrown the Bible out of the public school. We've thrown God out of the court system. We've thrown God more and more out of the government, out of the culture as a whole. Well, what's the only other religion? Man, man's word. And the more that that happens what we will see we'll see moral relativism pervading the culture is that not what we see but people that change in foundation hasn't just occurred in the culture it's occurred in the church two-thirds of young people walking away from the church by the time they reach college age if you were to take all the young people in the church line them up out the front and I'm not saying this is true of every church but generally speaking across the nation and you put them from those who are just born right through to college age and say two-thirds you're gone walk out that's what's happening in America does that concern you about your kids and your grandkids the future of this nation you know we published a book in 2009 called already gone 
It was based on research done by America's research group. We said to them, go out and find out why these two-thirds of young people are leaving the church. And they went out and asked them questions. And we've got all the the results of that research. At what age did you begin to really question contents in the Bible? 40% questioning the Bible by the end of middle school. Another 45% by the end of high school. If you don't believe the Bible, when did you first start to have doubts? 40% by the end of middle school. Another 45% by the end of high school. We're losing these kids at a young age. They're starting starting to doubt the Bible and that doubt leading to unbelief. Would you say questioning was the beginning of your doubt in the Bible? Yes, questioning, questioning. People, there are questions today. How do you know there's a God? How can you trust the Bible? Where'd the races of people come from? What about the ape men? What about the millions of years? What do you do with carbon dating? Oh, don't worry about those. Trust in Jesus. You know what we found from our research? We found that the teaching of evolution of millions of years in so many churches. I praise the Lord. This is one of the rare churches. And when I say rare, I mean rare. They actually have in their statement of faith that you believe in six literal days. That's not true of even most conservative churches. But you see, what we found is the teaching of evolution millions of years causes so many of these young people to start to doubt the Bible. And you know what else we found? We found from the research, what happens in most churches and most Christian homes? They're taught Bible stories. You know what I mean by Bible stories? Kids, let's have a story. Jonah and the Great Fish, Feeding of the 5,000, Paul's Missionary Journey, Jesus on the Cross, Noah on the Ark, Adam and Eve. Don't you believe those? Yes. What's wrong with that? Two things. One, the word story today has come to mean fairy tale. People increasingly, we've got we to understand the times. The word story today is, is, is used more and more to mean fairy tale. Let's stop calling them Bible stories. Let's talk about the record of history. Tomorrow in the children's session, I'm going to tell the kids, this is the history book of the universe. It's not just a book of stories, it's a book of history. Christianity is based in real history. Wow, what a difference that makes when the kids understand that. And you know the second thing? It's the way we teach it. You know, in most Sunday schools, if you said, Mary, you teach Sunday school? Tell me, in Sunday school, do you teach geology, biology, astronomy, anthropology? What would Mary say? No. Where do kids go to learn about geology, biology, astronomy, anthropology? I think she'd say they go to... 90% of kids from church homes go to public schools. Now, you might be a Christian teacher in the system as a missionary in a pagan system, by the way. Uh, I was, and you need our prayers. But... Let's face it, they've thrown, by and large, God out, Bible out, prayer out. Now they're neutral, right? The Bible says you're either for Christ or... So if the system is not for Christ, it is... We need to, we need to grasp hold of that. And you know what we found? We found this. Kids get the idea. We learn real stuff at school. It's stories at church. At church, they're not taught apologetics. Most churches do not... Te- and most Christian homes and parents do not teach their kids apologetics. They don't teach them how to answer those skeptical questions. And we, we need to be asking ourselves, what's the Genesis 3 attack of our age? I've got to make sure God has entrusted these children to me. I've got to make sure I'm raising them up, ready for the Genesis 3 attack. Satan is out to get them. I've got to get them ready. Do we do that? For many of us, well, trust in Jesus. What about evolution, millions of years? What about carbon dating? Don't worry about that. Well, I mean, you could, well, I don't know. Who, well, who cares? About, well, it doesn't really matter. Just trust in Jesus, Johnny. But Johnny recognizes the message of Jesus comes from this book. If this book's not trustworthy over here, it starts to create that doubt that leads to unbelief. And Johnny becomes one of those two-thirds and walks away from the church. Do you know where they are being taught apologetics? In the public schools. And the television, the Discovery Channel, the Learning Channel. You know what I mean by that? People, do you know what's happening? 
they're going to public schools and they're watching television and here's what they're hearing. Here's the evidence the Bible's not true. Here's the evidence for millions of years. Here's the evidence you came from an ape man. Here's the evidence you're just an animal. Here's the evidence there never was a global flood. Here's the evidence dinosaurs lived millions of years ago. What do we do in our homes and churches? Trust in Jesus. Don't get me wrong, we want them to trust in Jesus. But what's happening is doubt in regard to the word of God is permeating their minds. And that doubt leads to unbelief. We're letting them to succumb to the Genesis 3 attack of our age. And people, the one thing, just the one point I want you to get from this message leading up to the conference, if you can get this one point, the whole issue of evolution, millions of years and so on, it's an issue of authority. The authority of the word. You know, Psalm 11.3 says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If you take this barn that had a foundation was collapsing and the foundation collapsed, the barn came down. That collapsing barn to me represents the collapsing moral structure of our Western world and particularly of America. Why is that happening? Why? Because there's been a foundation that's come under attack. What foundation? The foundation of the authority of the word of God. And in this day and age... The Genesis 3 attack has been particularly focused on the first 11 chapters of the Bible and most of the church has succumbed to it. Most Christian homes have succumbed to it. And I want to say this to you. When you reinterpret Genesis, reinterpret the days, reinterpret dust to Adam, reinterpret rib to Eve, reinterpret that death came after sin, reinterpret the global fight, when you add man's ideas and reinterpret the clear teaching of Scripture, you do two things. One, You undermine the foundation of all doctrine, including the gospel. But two, you undermine the very word of God itself. You know, in Matthew 19, when Jesus was asked about marriage, do you know what he said? Have you not read? I love that statement. Have you not read the authority of the word? Can you speak with authority like that? Can your children Are they emboldened to speak with that authority? My father emboldened us. You know why? His favorite verses of scripture. Have you not read? Thus saith the Lord. When when Jesus was tempted by the devil, what was his response? As it is written, it is written. Wow, the authority of the word. Our father brought us up like that. I really think it affected me. (laughs) Have you not read he which made the beginning made the male and female? Not male and male. Not female and female male and female, and said, this is the reason a man loses his father and mother and is joined to his wife and they shall be one flesh. Oh, one flesh? Jesus quoted from Genesis 2. Male and female? He quoted from Genesis 1. One flesh? Oh, you ca- woman came from man. You're one flesh because a woman came from man. But see, if you believe in evolution, then the woman came from an ape woman. You just destroyed the basis of marriage. You see... The history in Genesis is foundational to the doctrine of marriage because that history is true. That's why marriage is to be a man and a woman. If that history is not true, marriage is whatever you want to make it to be. But that history is true. Somebody better tell the President of the United States and the Senators and Congressmen that this history is true. But you know what the problem is? And I've spoken to some of those Senators and Congressmen. You know what they'll say to you? Ah, yes, but there are many Christian leaders and Christian academics and seminary professors and pastors who will tell you, you don't have to take Genesis as literal history. And people, therein lies the issue. The shepherds leading the sheep astray. By the way, it's not just marriage. Do you realize that ultimately every single biblical doctrine of theology, directly or indirectly, is founded in Genesis 1 to 11? 
Why did Jesus die on the cross? Genesis 1 to 11. Why is there sin? Genesis 1 to 11. Why is there death in the world? Genesis 1 to 11. Why do you wear clothes? Genesis 1 to 11. Why is Jesus called the last Adam? Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we need a new heavens and a new earth? Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we have a seven day week? Genesis 1 to 11. Do you think Genesis 1 to 11 is important? It's foundational to the gospel. It's foundational to all your doctrine. It's the foundational history. It's the foundational history for the entire rest of the Bible. And yet that's the focus of the attack in this day and age and that's where most Christians have succumbed to the Genesis 3 attack. Now when I speak like this, I guess some people get very upset with me because I have some people say, you're saying if we don't believe in six literal days in a young earth like you, you can't be a Christian then. I didn't say that. In fact, what does the Bible say? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead and believe in a young earth in six literal days, you'll be saved. Is that what the Bible says? No. You know what? Salvation is not conditioned upon what you believe about the age of the earth or the six days of creation, but upon faith in Christ, Christ alone, grace alone. Salvation is conditioned upon faith in Christ. And then people say to me, so you're saying that we can believe in millions of years and still be a Christian? There are many people who believe in millions of years who are Christians. You can believe in evolution and be a Christian? There are people who even believe in evolution and are Christians. Then it doesn't matter then. Yes, it does. This is the point. I want you to think very carefully about this. See, in a congregation like this, at a church like this, I would imagine if I said to you, do you people believe that Jesus Christ bodily rose from the dead? I would assume most of you, I would hope all of you, but I assume most of you would say yes. Question, how do you know Jesus bodily rose from the dead? Were you there? Got a movie rerun of it? I mean, what'd you do? Look at a tree and get that idea? I mean, where'd you get the idea Jesus rose from the dead? Oh, from the Bible. The Bible says. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Richard Dawkins, his beliefs of evolution of millions of years are the same beliefs many Christians have adopted into the Bible. He also says that, Jesus, that a man can't rise from the dead. Shouldn't we take what the secular scientists say about that too and reinterpret that? No, this is the word of God. I see. What about the virgin birth? Richard Dawkins says you can't have a virgin birth in humans. Shouldn't we take what the secular scientists say and reinterpret the virgin birth? Well, no. This is the word of God. And you know, I, w- I would imagine in, in a lot of churches in America, probably the majority, if I was to go through and say, do you believe Jesus walked on water? Do you believe that Jesus fed thousands of people from a few loaves and fishes? I would say, well, yeah, because the Bible says. Do you believe that the Israelites were fed manna in the wilderness? Do you believe their clothes didn't even wear out and their shoes didn't even wear out and their feet didn't swell against everything we observed? Well, yeah, because the Bible says and God sustained. Do you believe that, that they crossed the Jordan River and, and, and the Red Sea on dry land? Well, yeah, because the Bible says. Do you believe a man was swallowed by a fish and lived in a fish for three days? Do you believe that? Well, yeah. Because the Bible says. Wait a minute, secular scientists say that can't happen. Yeah, but this is God's word. But as soon as we come to Genesis 1 to 11 in this era of history, in our churches and Christian colleges and seminaries and Bible colleges, and you say, well, God created in six days. Man was made from dust, woman from his side. Death came after sin. There's a global flood. What are we here? Oh, no, it doesn't mean that. Oh, no, what about what the secular scientists... No, you've got to take the Big Bang. No, maybe God used the Big Bang. No, maybe it was evolution. Or maybe there was a gap between Genesis 1, 1, and 1, 2. Or maybe the days are long periods of time. Or maybe it was just a local flood. People, do you see what's happened? Do you see what's happened in this era of history? We have... One hermeneutical principle for Genesis 1 to 11 where we say you can take man's ideas out here and you can reinterpret and the rest of the Bible we say no, you don't do it for the rest. 
You would never apply taking Richard Dawkins' ideas of evolution of millions of years as people do to Genesis and take his same views of the resurrection and apply them. Oh no, we, we have a different hermeneutic from Genesis 11 onwards and the next generation see that. Because it, it doesn't affect your salvation in that sense. See, I find some of the older generations say, well, I believe in gap theory, it didn't hurt me. No, but you know what it did affect? How your kids view scripture. Because you unlocked a door to say to them, you can use man's ideas of millions of years and force that into scripture. And you've unlocked a door. You've created that doubt. That doubt, that, that Genesis 3 attack, did God really say, that leads to unbelief. You know, one of the reasons that we're here, this conference, is to, is to give people answers, to, def- to equip you. And we're going to do that in geology and biology and all sorts of different areas, starting tonight and, and then tomorrow night for the kids in the morning, the little kids, kindergarten through grade six, uh, for ni- from 9 to 10.30, and I encourage parents, adults, you're welcome to come, and, and then at 11 o'clock to 12.30 for teens and, a, and teens, there's a whole different sessions. Where did God come from? How do you know there's a God? What about dating methods? Not, not the dating methods teenagers want to hear about, but <laughs> it's different dating methods. And then tomorrow night with different sessions. But you know, one of, one of the most asked questions that we get asked, and I thought about this this week in regard to what happened in Colorado, that massacre of those people in the movie theater. And you know, when something like that happens, the question we get asked, how can you Christians believe in a loving God? Look at all the death and suffering in the world. And even people in churches say, well, why would God allow this? Why would God do this? Isn't it interesting how we, we sort of focus on that little event like that? And, and when we ask those questions, why would God allow this? Why would God let this happen? How can we believe in a loving God? You know what the implication is? That what happened is God's fault. Let me, let me say this to shock you. If you believe in millions of years, it's God's fault. But if you believe in a literal genesis, it is our fault. Bear with me as I explain that. You see, you remember when the Tower of Siloam fell on people? I mean, there's, a, there's an, an example in the Bible when there was a tragedy and people were killed. And Jesus asked the question, were they worse sinners than others? Why did they die at this time? You know what his answer was? Repent. How's that for an answer? Why did all these people die? Repent. Because you know what he was saying? Everyone's going to die. Not just those, those 14. Everyone's going to die. Repent. Make sure you're ready because it could be your turn next. See, people, what is the origin of death? The Bible tells us the origin of death. Adam, you can eat of all the trees. There's one tree you're not to eat of because if you do, you'll surely what? Die. Adam Rebelled against God. A literal rebellion. A literal tree. A literal fruit. A literal man. A literal fall. We're all descendants of a literal Adam. That's why we're all sinners. We inherit that sin nature from Adam. He was the head of the human race. He rebelled against God. Adam, if you do this, you will die. You forfeit your right to live. You commit high treason against the God of creation. People, we don't even deserve to exist. But God in his grace and mercy withdrew some of his sustaining power so things would run down and die because we forfeited our right to live. The life of the flesh is in the blood. There would have to be the shedding of blood to pay the penalty for our sin. Right there in the garden, the first death, when God killed an animal, clothed Adam and Eve, the first blood sacrifice is a covering for their sin, a picture of what was to come in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
but we're not connected to the animals. An animal's blood can't take away our sin. The blood of bulls and goats can't, can't take away our sin. That's why the Israelites sacrificed animals over and over and over again as a picture of what was to come in the one who would be the Messiah when God's son stepped into history to be our relative of our race related to the first Adam. He's called the last Adam, takes the place of the last Adam. Through the first Adam came sin and death. Through the last Adam's death comes life because he offered himself up as the perfect sacrifice, conquered death, raised from the dead, offers a free gift of salvation to save us from what we did. Wow, what a gracious God. But people, we've got to understand something. It's not God's fault there's tragedy in the world. It's not God's fault there's a tsunami. It's not God's fault a man goes on a rampage and kills people. It is our fault. Oh, wretched man that I am, says Paul. We sinned against a holy God. We don't deserve anything. Nothing. Now, if you believe in millions of years as a Christian, I have a challenge for you. I'm going to challenge you. I want to challenge you right here. If you believe in millions of years as a Christian then God is responsible for death and suffering and disease and calls it all very good. People in the fossil record, it is full of examples of animals eating each other. The Bible says originally Adam and Eve were vegetarian and so were the animals. We weren't told to eat meat until after the flood when God says, just as I gave you the plants, you're originally vegetarian. Now you can have everything, which is why you can eat a hot dog because it is everything. See, even a hot dog, is its origin is in Genesis. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> By the way, man and animals have a nephesh, a life spirit that plants do not have. Plants don't die like animals. They're different. Very different. In fact, you know, you can often decorate a stage like this with dead plants. And it's very nice. But you don't tend to shoot a cow, let it down, bring it down here, it'll rot on the stage. <laughs> There's something different about animal life. In the fossil record, there are brain tumors in some of the fossil bones, cancer, arthritis. Wait a minute. If all that existed millions of years before man, and you as a Christian believe that, God said everything he made at the end of the six-day creation was very good. Does God call brain tumors very good? It's not God's fault we get sick. It's because of sin. Because God no longer holds everything together perfectly. There are thorns in the fossil record said to be hundreds of millions of years old. The Bible says thorns came after the curse. People, these two things can't be true at the same time. And if you believe in millions of years as a Christian, God is responsible for diseases like brain tumors and he calls that very good. There's been death, violence for, for millions of years before man. Then tell me, what was wrong with that man going into a movie theater and just shooting people? After all, doesn't God say that sort of violence is very good? And, and if you take generations of kids through an education system anyway and you throw God out and you tell them we're just animals, who decides what's right and wrong? Tell me, from the secular world's perspective, who's out there condemning what this man did, and of course we would condemn what this man did, but from a secular world's perspective who does not believe in God, there's no absolutes, no right or wrong. Why is what he did wrong? He's just an animal? You die, you won't even know you ever existed. Life is meaningless anyway. Why not do what you want to do? But see, they're not saying that on television, are they? You know, when you go to the Grand Canyon, stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon, the park ranger will tell your kids, long time and a little bit of water did this. You come with me, I'll tell you. A lot of water and a little bit of time did this. 
Because those layers are full of dead things. They couldn't have been laid down millions of years before man sinned. No, it makes sense that Noah's flood produced billions of dead things, buried in rock layers, laid down by water all over the earth. That's why we have these layers and canyons all over the earth. We're going to tell you more about that tonight and tomorrow night. That's why we do research like Mount St. Helens. When it erupted, hundreds of feet of sedimentary layers were laid down. This layer in the middle, 30 feet thick, hundreds, thousands of individual layers was laid down in three hours. Canyons were formed in a matter of days and months. In fact, there were canyons carved through hard rock by mud flows formed in two, three, four years. It doesn't take millions of years to form layers like the Grand Canyon. We're going to show you how you can explain the canyon being formed at the end of the flood catastrophically, not slowly over millions of years. Bottom line, two religions, two starting points, God's word, man's word. In fact, the Bible has that theme all the way through, tree of life, tree of death. God's word, man's word, light, darkness, all the way through scripture. Trust God, stop trusting in man. That's it, all the way through scripture. And people, when you build your thinking on God's word, you have an absolute authority. Why is marriage a man and a woman? It's not because what I think. Because God created marriage. He owns us. Why is abortion wrong? Because God makes it clear. Life begins at conception. That's a human being. Killing a human being like that is wrong. But if man determines truth, what's marriage? Whatever you want to make it to be. What about abortion? Get rid of spare cats. Get rid of spare kids. What is the difference? Oh, and the inconsistencies of a culture. Oh, the inconsistencies of a culture that would condemn a man going and shooting 14 people in a movie studio, let's say it's okay to kill millions of children in the womb. Oh, the inconsistency, the hypocrisy. See, you take out the foundation of God's word from this culture. You throw it out of the school system. You throw it out of the culture as a whole, out of the court system. Then you have no basis for, for absolutes. And what would you see? Moral relativism pervading the culture. Isn't that what we do see? And I sum it up this way with these two diagrams. Here's a foundation of God's word, the castle of Christianity, doctrines, the gospel, man's word, secular humanism, moral relativism. People, there's been an incredible attack by the world on God's word. It started in Genesis 3. It's never let up. In this era of history, the method, same method he used on Eve, but it's particularly an attack on the first 11 chapters of the Bible and what do most Christians say? Well, that's okay. That doesn't matter. We'll keep the rest of the foundation and keep this structure. People like that barn, if you don't have the foundation, it'll collapse. And then we look up here and we say, oh, look at all the problems in the culture. Gay marriage, abortion. We've got to deal with these problems. They are not the problems. They're the symptoms. They're the symptoms of the problem. The problem is down here. We've spent millions of dollars of Christians' money in America to change the culture and people. One of the reasons, and I'm going to talk about this tomorrow night, that, that, that one of the reasons why I believe Christians have been losing the battle in regard to gay marriage and abortion and so on is because we don't understand where the real battle is. It's not up here. It's actually down here. See, the Bible doesn't tell us go into all the world and change the culture. It says go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples because here's a point the secular world understands and we seem to have missed. Hearts and minds change a culture. Hitler knew that. Give me the kids, I'll change their hearts and minds, I'll change the culture. Lenin knew that. Pharaoh of the Exodus knew that. You can go and, and worship you men, but, but you're God, but leave the women and kids. I'll, give me the kids. I'll change their hearts and minds. I'll have the culture. People, do you know what's really happened in our culture? By and large, Christians, families have handed 
the next generation over to the world. You change their hearts and minds, we'll tell them about Jesus. We'll tell them some stories. And the secular world changed their hearts and minds and has changed the culture. And now we're saying, oh, woe is us. People, imagine what would happen if we raised up generations of kids who knew to stand on the authority of the word of God, who knew what they believed, who knew why they believed what they do, who were equipped. And you said, I as a parent, I want to do what, the, what God's word tells me to do. He's entrusted these children to me, beings that are going to live for eternity in heaven or hell. Wow, what a responsibility I have. I need to understand the Genesis 3 attack of this age. I need to get them ready. I need to equip them. I need to get them ready so they can stand on the authority of the word of God, preach with authority, defend the Christian faith, answer those questions, point people to the word of God and proclaim the gospel. Wow, we would change the world. Why aren't we doing that? Well, I could go on for millions of years. (laughs) But that's just the introduction. The rest of it is tonight and tomorrow morning. I invite you all to the kids' sessions too. And tomorrow night. One of the most important parts of our ministry is to resource you. You know, we have people who say to us, I don't know how to answer those questions. I've already had people come up to me in, in, the, in the break and there were visitors and, uh, here from other places and ask me questions. And, you know, some of, the, some of the things you hear sometimes are just mind-boggling. I had one young lady tell me about a teacher she had at school who was telling them that, um, that about gay marriage and supposedly a Christian teacher, from what I understood, and uh, she said, well, the Bible says God made the male and female. And, her, and, the, and this teacher's justification for gay marriage, well, the Bible says there are only two boys to start with, Cain and Abel. Well, I thought, well, you think you've heard everything. And then you hear another one. Man, I've got to talk about that tonight when I answer where did Cain get his wife. You know, you know the Bible doesn't say there was only Cain and Abel. It also says Seth too. There's three, right? Actually, it also says Adam had sons and daughters. You can look it up, ready for tonight. Genesis chapter 5, verse 4. Adam had sons and daughters. Well, anyway, I encourage you to go to our, our website, answersandgenesis.org, where we have lots of articles, and you can spend a lot of time there, and also uh, kids' website and so on. As you came in and you saw those resources on the table, please don't think of them as products. They are not products. They're resources. Our job is to resource you. That's my heart. Most people tell us, we don't have the answers. We, we don't, we, how, how do we get these answers? Because, you know, we, we, we don't know them. And so we provide these resources. And when we come out at a program like this, we do it as inexpensively as we can. For instance, our Begin book, one of my favorite books. When I was a teacher in the public schools in Australia, groups would come in and hand out New Testament Psalms and Proverbs to the kids. But you know what the problem was? didn't have Genesis 1 to 11 to counteract the wrong cosmology they were taught. Most of those kids didn't go to church. Without Genesis 1 to 11, how do they understand what sin is, where it came from, why they're a sinner, who they are? And so we put together this witnessing book. It's become very popular. Genesis 1 to 11, then Exodus 20, the law, then the book of John, the life of Christ, the book of Romans, the gospel in detail, and the last two chapters of Revelation, new heavens and new earth. That's it, the gospel in a nutshell, as I tell people. It presents the gospel the way God does it in the Bible, starting at the beginning, an incredibly radical idea. And in between, we have a little summary of what's in the Bible with little notes, some explanatory notes, so it gives you a whole perspective of scripture. And then, Because we understand the Genesis 3 attack of this age, it causes people to even doubt that you can trust the Bible. We have 10 of those questions answered. And then what does it mean to be saved? 
And we're finding people, are, chaplains are handing these out to inmates in prisons. It, uh, it's been used for new believers classes in churches. We sell it to you at our, at our cost and, and we want people to get multiple copies and go out there and give them away. We're challenging you to go out there and make a difference. And so we offer this to you this way. People ask me, what's, what's the one book I can get to help me really get these answers? Uh, these three. These are the three one books. A hundred of the most asked questions answered in detail, great for teenagers, adults, even 11, 12-year-old upwards if they're good readers. I encourage you all to get at least those. Then there's already gone. Why young people are leaving the church? But it's more than that. It's really on the importance of the book of Genesis as I spoke on this morning in much more detail. I encourage every young person and adult to read that. Books on dinosaurs for kids. Actually, it's even good for mums and dads. And because dinosaurs are used to try to drag kids away from God's word. Books for little kids, like A is for Adam, uh, D is for dinosaur. There's others that connect the Bible to the real world, that uh, help kids understand the true history of the world and the gospel based in that history. We've seen so many little kids commit their lives to the Lord as a result of books like that. That's great for preschool, kindergarten, grade one, two, three, that sort of thing. And what we do at these conferences, we bring what I call the cream of the crop. Everything out there, I consider the cream of the crop of our apologetics materials. DVDs, books, buddy CDs, and you can put them together in any combination you want, and we give you special discounted prices. We want you to get these materials. Some people say, I just want the best of everything. We got that ready for you. Uh, The Teen Adult Library Pack, highly discounted, and we put in a free cardboard box. And um, then the Kids Answer Library, that's from preschool right up kindergarten, middle school, even into, even into uh, junior high. Put that in a box, you get a free cardboard box. Buy both those libraries and you get free, two free museum tickets. And they're good for a couple of years. So that's to encourage you to get to the Creation Museum. And then the talks that I give here, uh, I give a number of presentations, but what I call the core presentations of the ministry, uh, this is my set here with 12 30-minute programs. They're done up that way, very professionally done with a curriculum to go with them. Great for teaching at home or, or a Bible study or churches even use them for a Sunday evening study or something like that. Normally they're priced at $100 or more, but we highly discount things out here in the field for you. We want to equip you. These answers books for kids. We had real kids write in real, their real questions about the Bible, and they cover a whole range of topics creation, evolution, just general Bible apologetics. We put the questions of the kids in there and then short answers. Some parents use those as devotions with their kids. It's sort of for middle school, if you like, uh, upwards, uh, but even parents appreciate those. And Answers Magazine. How many of you here already get Answers Magazine? Oh, I see a few. We need a lot more than that. Uh, This is actually an award-winning magazine. We received eight awards from the Evangelical Press Association this year, including for the second year in a row, the top award for excellence for a Christian magazine, which is incredible. In the middle, there's a mini magazine for little kids that you can rip out, and we have a collector chart in each one. 80,000 subscribers to Answers Magazine. Uh, it's, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal teaching tool for you. I encourage every family to get it. And we'll give you a free DVD for each year you subscribe. People, I want to challenge you as I hand back to Pastor Wiley to close. And the way I want to challenge you this morning is this. You know, for many of us, unfortunately, we've, left that, we've let that door get opened for the next generation, for our kids, grandkids, for our, our friends and neighbours. When we have said, you don't have to 
believe this bit here, you can reinterpret it. We've unlocked a door. And the door we've unlocked is you don't have to take God's word as written. It's that door that begins that, that unbelief. That unbelief, that slippery slide of doubt that leads to unbelief. Can I challenge us this morning in our own hearts and minds, for ourselves, for our kids, grandkids, our neighbours and friends, people, let's shut that door. Let's determine right now before the Lord, we're going to shut that door. Lord, this is your word. I need to be like Job when he fell down in dust and ashes and recognised, God, you know everything. I know nothing. How dare we put man in authority over the word of God? If we need to repent of that this morning, let's repent of that. And let's start raising up kids, grandkids, reaching our friends and neighbours, knowing the Genesis 3 attack of our day to embolden people out there to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow, what a difference we can make. And I'll hand back to Pastor Wiley to close.